In the summer of 2008, Britta von Osen took an internship with a major investment bank after wrapping up business school. It was considered, at the time, one of the top places to work. It was with a company called Lehman Brothers. Um, and it was actually a fascinating summer. I was working in their global power group, but focused on renewable energy. And, you know, there was a lot going on at the time. Tax equity was really ramping up. People were figuring out how the structuring was going to work with that. Um, there were a couple IPOs that were right on the horizon. So it was a fascinating summer from a renewables perspective and also what was going on at Lehman. It's been an unnerving week for U.S. financial markets. And now the potential collapse of Lehman Brothers, once the fourth largest investment firm in the U.S. At that time, Lehman Brothers was a top investor in renewables. It had bought big portfolios of wind and solar projects. It was a leading tax equity investor, and it was helping take companies public. It was an exciting time. But as the summer wore on, market conditions worsened, investors got nervous, and things got grim for Lehman. Analysts say the bank's future is in doubt after it reported a loss of nearly $4 billion in the last quarter. Lehman Brothers has suffered heavy losses as a result of the U.S. housing slump. You know, while I was there, it was just constant reassurance that, that these cycles are normal and, and, you know, financial markets go through this occasionally and, and everything was going to be fine. Of course, it was not fine. This is going to be one of the watershed days in financial markets history. It was a manic Monday in the financial markets. The Dow tumbled more than 500 points after two pillars of the street tumbled over the weekend. Lehman Brothers, a 158-year-old firm, filed for bankruptcy. In the lead-up to the Lehman bankruptcy in the fall, IPOs fell apart, project financing dried up, and cleantech companies with loans underwritten by the bank were suddenly exposed to risks they didn't foresee. Britta had a front-row seat to all of it. After leaving Lehman, she picked up and moved to Italy, where she helped build wind and solar projects for a German developer. Soon after, she witnessed yet another period of chaos, the swift rollbacks of feed-in tariffs. The Italian market came to a screeching halt. It did teach me a lot about developer resiliency, um, the fundamental optimism that is required to be a renewable energy developer, and, and taking the long view on a lot of these projects. So Britta took those lessons and applied them to the next chapter of her career. She now advises clean energy companies on how to manage risk. So you've managed to witness the collapse of one of the biggest investment banks and one of the biggest European renewable energy markets back to back. That's quite an entrance into the industry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I swear it's not me. It's <laughs> I'm not the uh, I'm not the the driver in all of this. But I think what it taught me was that things change and and the markets move and those that are resilient and those that figure out how to work in the new paradigm that they're given are the ones who are successful. So I've taken a huge amount of those lessons into my current job and into my current business where I'm basically advising folks how to roll with the ever-changing markets that we see in wind and solar. I'm Stephen Lacey. In this episode, produced in partnership with Cone Resnick and Cone Resnick Capital, we are talking with Britta von Osen about those ever-changing market conditions. Today, Britta is a managing director at Cone Resnick Capital. And over the last decade, she's seen all kinds of market risk, mostly expiring or changing policies that create financial risk. You know, first it was the 1603 grant expiring. 
than it was ITC expiring. Um, you know, PTC is stepping down. Um, what are the safe harbor policies? We, we didn't even get the um, ITC safe harbor policies until fairly recently. I think it's just a fundamental aspect of this industry. It's a lot about planning for the unexpected. And Britta's job is to help figure out how to get renewable energy deals done in the face of those challenges. So I sat down with her to unpack some of those policy uncertainties and what they mean for renewables. And I wanted to know, how often does policy change derail projects? So I have worked on project many projects that were potentially derailed that we managed to work around various policy changes. I think change in tax law was a really interesting time where we had to figure out how to keep the investors um, active and investing into projects that would probably not be commissioned for another, you know, 12 months and how to get around the fact that there was a very likely change in tax law to be passed at that time and yet nobody knew exactly what that was going to look like. I think this uh, PG&E bankruptcy recently and the California, I think it was AB 1054, the wildfire response bill, um, that has been high in the mind of a lot of California developers at the moment who were focused on contracts with SCE and SDG&E and whether or not those credit ratings were going to take a hit. Um, that policy was passed, and I think both of those organizations are, are quite secure and shored up, and that was, that was great news for California developers um, across the board, with or without contracts. Well, let's walk through some of the big drivers and uncertainties around them. So you mentioned PG&E. I'd like to talk about PG&E and understand what are you now looking for in the bankruptcy proceeding? Like, what, what kind of risks to contracts are there currently? Uh, what has been sorted out and what's still left to be sorted out that would impact renewable energy developers? So I believe there is still quite a bit of uncertainty as far as the potential for PG&E to cancel um, contracts that are considered out of market to date. So these would be some of the earlier vintage PPAs. There are uh, several conversations, and I know Konresnik has been a part of several of these, about trying to restructure this through bilateral negotiations with PG&E um, and kind of nipping this in the bud and coming to a, a good solution for all parties. Um, but otherwise, I think there is still a strong degree of uncertainty here. Um, there are investors who are then making plays in this and trying to pick up these assets, making a bet as to whether or not there will be restructuring of the contracts or not as well. It, you know, it's an unfortunate situation, but it's certainly a very active group of projects and, and sponsors that are figuring out and working through how to navigate that uncertainty. Let's go to tax equity. The solar investment tax credit is now facing the beginning of its step-down schedule. Uh, this is obviously going to impact the economics of project development, but we have had some clarity on this step-down schedule for, for years now. How is phasing down the ITC going to change the way projects are financed, and does it present any risks that were not there previously? So you're right. There is a very clear 
step down schedule, which I think has been helpful for folks trying to forecast what this looks like. That being said, given the safe harbor um, provisions, I would venture that there is a generic assumption from those who are procuring PPAs at the moment that their assets, that their projects will be safe harbored. Many of the major IPPs and strategics are making significant safe harbor plays. They are, um, you know, doing this both for their own projects and under the assumption that there will be M&A advantages over the next few years, which I agree with. I think a lot of these developers that are procuring, making this assumption, are going to limit themselves to buyers of the assets that can um, then fulfill the safe harbor in order to meet the economics. What do you think the chances of an extension of the investment tax credit are? I know that the Solar Energy Industries Association has all of a sudden put this back on their priorities list. They think maybe there's an opening to extend the federal tax credit. What do you think the chances of that are, given what you know? So there's a couple a couple aspects of this that are important. A- absolutely, it would be beneficial to the industry, right? That being said, we are months away from the step down. Last time this extension happened, I think we had a good 12 months of lead time. So it allowed folks to um, plan at least partially accordingly. In this case, you would actually jam up probably some of the more some of the more major players who have made significant safe harbor plays that would have been capital that was not necessary to deploy and potentially at pricing that is not beneficial to their assets so there are mixed mixed feelings throughout the industry about this i think there is a decent chance i also think it's interesting given kind of the economic Uh, markets at the moment and the potential for a downturn, let's call it in the next 12 to 18 months, renewables are such a critical component of job security and, and job growth in the U.S. economy at the moment that especially if we're facing some type of downturn, it, it may increase congressional and government support for some type of extension here. What about the storage tax credit that's been floating around Congress for a long time? If there is this renewed push for a potential solar ITC, where does a storage ITC uh, fit in there? Would it be something separate? Would it be wrapped together? And what do you think the chances of getting this thing finally passed are? I think the storage credit is actually much more critical than the than the solar one in the in the near term here. I think without it, we will continue to have murkiness around trying to loop storage into either wind or solar tax credits, which is is just messy. It's hard for investors to get their heads around. It just adds a lot of confusion. And it also limits what you can do from adding storage onto existing renewable energy projects. I think throughout the energy community, there is a consensus that storage is a critical component that needs to be deployed on a large scale in order for renewables to continue on the growth it is. And in order to hit some of these RPS targets, 100% in California, for example, you, you have to have the storage component there 
otherwise you're facing um, you know a variety of issues on you know intermittency or demand or you know any variety of aspects so I am a little more bullish on the storage tax credit. I think a standalone tax credit does a lot to simplify and streamline financing aspects for storage, whether or not um, connected to renewables and whether or not commissioned at the same time as the renewables. What happens to development if we get a storage tax credit? Are there a lot of developers you're working with who would very quickly integrate storage if they could. Obviously, like the tax credit is one component of a broader suite of market reformations that we need to make storage work and make it economic, but it's a big one. I think um, adding storage on to renewable projects would absolutely boom. That is a that is a market right now that has difficulty accessing the existing credits due to a variety of structuring challenges. It, it can be done, but it's challenging. And so I think the standalone credit really sees an absolute boom in storage that is deployed. I also think, you know, looking at the California market, for example, and the duck curve and all of the, the forecasts on what merchant energy is doing, for further renewables development in California to make sense post-contracted um, PPAs or hedges means that you, you have to have a significant storage component. And if, if you talk to the, the folks that are issuing these third-party merchant curves, you know, this is a major assumption that they have to make, um, you know, assuming... California is moving towards this target, and and storage is such a critical component of that. I worry that without a standalone storage credit as kind of a carrot to to deploy additional storage, um, that's going to be difficult going forward. You hinted at a bigger economic risk for renewable energy project owners, and that is uh, it's harder to get a long-term power purchase agreement now. Project terms are getting a lot shorter, 10 years or less, and these projects are going to last a long time. And so that means that, you know, after seven, nine, 10 years, whatever it is, these projects are going to have to go out and sell electricity on the open market. And there's a particular risk to renewable energy projects because if you have a lot of wind and solar on grids, well, those other wind and solar projects are selling electricity at the time of day when everyone else is generating electricity and it could make projects. Electricity prices go very low or even negative in wholesale markets. And that's really bad when you're trying to sell your electrons on the open market. And so the big question is, how much merchant risk are these projects taking on? Is there a policy or a market reformation solution or is it a technical solution like storage? Curious how project developers are currently thinking about this because even though it may be, you know, 10 years off that they have to deal with this problem, it they have to deal with it now because of how long the, the project will last for. So it is, it is top of the mind of investors right now looking to invest in California. Um, I think the, the consensus is that the storage will come. You know, a lot of assets are being built with storage. A lot are being procured now with storage. And I think if you look at most of these 
third-party curves, they are assuming some level of procurement going forward has storage added to it. And in that case, you don't run into that that negative issue. Um, so I, I think the general consensus is people are comfortable that this will happen, but it certainly would make this a lot more simple and a lot more straightforward if there was a standalone storage credit that people could count on to either deploy standalone storage, add storage to existing projects, or even just ease the burden of financing on solar storage or, or wind plus storage new assets that are going into the ground. So then what is the most consequential positive potential positive policy development, either on the federal or state level, that you think would help accelerate the energy transition? So I'm I'm somewhat a broken record here, but to me the the storage component of this is really a critical aspect that is missing right now. In order to achieve some of these broader RPS targets and achieve truly clean energy across the board, you're going to need um, widespread, large-scale, deployed storage. This is going to be a critical component of, you know, having 100% renewables, solving some of these duck curve issues. Um, meeting up ramping needs, resource adequacy, intermittency, reliability of the grid, etc. I would really like to see policy focusing on that. And what is the biggest risk on the horizon that you see, again, either on the state or national level? I mean, I, th- I think that there are warning signs at the moment that we may be experiencing some degree of a downturn in the next 12 to 18 months. I would love to be wrong about that, but there certainly is a lot of discussion about this at the moment. Um, To me, renewables are actually a great industry to be in, even in the event that happens. It's a strong area of job growth in the U.S., again, across party lines. So, To me, I think renewables is actually very well situated to potentially ride out any storm that that we see coming in the next next couple years. Well, if anyone out there is looking at the unclear economic picture and working at a vulnerable investment bank, perhaps they can follow your career path and get in touch with you and get into renewables. (laughs) We always welcome resumes, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) We'll send them your way. Britta Von Osen is Managing Director at Cone Resnick Capital. She joined us from San Francisco. Thanks, Britta. Thank you. If you are a developer or an investor looking to navigate the vagaries of renewable energy policy, go to coneresnickcapital.com to learn more about how the company builds relationships, closes deals, and helps clean energy companies excel. This podcast was produced in partnership with Cone Resnick and Cone Resnick Capital. Thanks for listening.